For three years, the disciples had become used to that. Having a very, very intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. While he was here on earth, walking among them, they had become dependent upon those quiet places and the times that they had with the Lord. And one day he dropped a bomb. Not literally, but it was worse, really, for their hearts. He said to them, where I am going, you cannot come. They had become so dependent upon him, so reliant upon him, what would they do? This relationship they had nurtured, that Christ had nurtured with them, and uh, now he's telling them, I'm going away. How could they go on? How could they keep living? He was their everything. He meant the world to them. I wonder if you might turn in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 14. By the way, when he said that, he began a conversation with the disciples that carried on through the whole chapter 14. And he presented to them the last teachings while he was here on earth before he would go to the cross and be crucified and die for them. At the end of his earthly mission, he pointed out to them that there was going to be some moving around, some significant changes were about to take place in how they had become accustomed to relating to one another. And I want to share from you, with you this morning from this text four life-transforming questions because the first thing that he had to say to them was, do not let your hearts be troubled. And that terminology, by the way, is or deeply distressed, deeply disturbed. It's the deepest of emotions. It's the, it's the gut-wrenching emotion of separation, of tragedy, of shock. He said to them, do not let your hearts go there. I want to tell you something. I actually want to begin our reading this morning from chapter 13 because it begins there. And um, it says in verse 31, when he has, go when he has gone, Jesus said... Now is the Son of Man glorified, referring to when Judas Iscariot had left. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you, if you love one another. And Simon Peter asked him the first of the questions we're going to look at this morning. Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. 
Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Second disciple comment. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Third disciple, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father's in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, you obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also shall live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, fourth disciple, not Judas Iscariot, John is quick to tell us, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Dear Lord, there are high points throughout the scriptures, high point after high point, but you have brought us again this morning to this immense high point of teaching. 
This is the place, Father, where you bring us and you say, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be in deep despair. Do not despair of life. Do not agonize. Because of Jesus. And Lord, I ask this morning that the fragrance of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, would pervade this room and work its way into every heart and soul and massage us with the love of God in Christ Jesus. Oh Lord, we need to hear from you. We need a fresh touch from you. We need strength from you. We need to know the truth. We need to know Christ. We need our hearts to be strengthened in the Lord. In the midst of distress, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you four reasons this morning in terms of these life-transforming questions why we should not be deeply distressed. Where I am going, he says, you cannot come. Peter asks them a question, Lord, where are you going? Where in the world could you possibly be going that we cannot come? I mean, that's the, that's the question he's asking. Why, where would you be going? Why are you going somewhere where we can't go? And Jesus says to him, where I am going, you cannot follow. And then he adds, now. Where I'm going, you cannot follow now. And then he moves on and teaches them, do not let their hearts be troubled because they are obviously very distressed. The the, the teaching has been unfolding as he moves through. He's been talking about the fact that, that soon his destruction is coming. And in fact, Uh, The disciples were well aware of that when they went to the event with Lazarus that they were likely going to Jerusalem to die with him. They had come to face these kinds of realities and now he's fast forwarding and saying it's it's upon us. Judas is now betraying him. He's left and he says now is the time for me to be glorified. It's the time. And he tells them don't let your hearts be troubled and he says I'm going to my father's house. And I'm sure they were just like this. I'm sure it was silent. I'm going there. But in order for me to take you there later, I have to go there soon. And there's this mission, this setup work that I have to do to prepare for you. And he's telling them this in advance so that when these things unfold, which is just around the corner, they will know it is purposeful, planned. This is not a tragedy, men, although you're going to feel like it is. And this is not somehow the situation that I had hoped for being foiled now by Satan. No, that's not it at all. I'm, I'm telling you exactly how it's going to go down. 
but I am about to go and prepare your eternal situation. In my father's house, there are many rooms already. I'm going there to prepare a place, literally an abode, an abiding, a closeness of fellowship for you with the Father. What he's about to teach them, a chapter later about abiding in God and what that means, this is going to be an intensification for them in the future eternally with the Father of abiding. Now, I know that, um, that there's this romantic idea that Jesus has gone away and for the last 2,000 years he's been making my mansion and your mansion. I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare. He, he said to them, he said to them, guys, there's already many rooms in my father's house. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The preparation here is to make it possible for them to go there. I'm going to prepare the abode for you, but I have to do some business. I've got to go and pay the price so that you can be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Places for you to prepare your eternal abiding situation. Now, there are a few important markers that we need to pull out of this. He says, trust in God, trust also in me. The same trust you have for God, trust me. Once again, teaching the co-equality of him with the Father. The same trust that you put in God, trust in me. By dying for our sin and arriving there in the Father's house himself, he will secure a residence for us with God. And by the way, there will be room in the Father's inn for you. He promised them, promises us, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There are many rooms there, many places. I remember, uh, the King, I think King James Version says, there are many mansions remember there was an older lady back in Guelph who used to say, I don't like the NIV translation because they've taken away my mansions in heaven from me. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I think we already know wherever the Father is, is already spectacular. And we get to hang out with him in his place. We can't even imagine what it will be like. We've got some descriptions in Revelation about jewels and gold and pearls and all kinds of beautiful things that are almost beyond our comprehension. So I'm not worried about what it's going to be like. I, I, I'm already thinking it's going to be extremely fantastic, and I don't think we've ever imagined what it's going to be like. As far as I'm concerned, if I'm hanging out in God's house, that's where I want to be. Isn't that where you want to be? It's going to be a good place. That's going to be the place to be for all eternity. Now, not only that, the place, by the way, has your name on it. 
says a place for you. It's already got your name on it. One of those rooms, and there'll be big rooms. One of those rooms already has your name on it. If you are a follower of Christ, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you already have a place there with your name on it. Now, um, I think that should change our relationship with every other thing here on earth. Don't you? I mean, really, every other thing here on earth is absolutely temporary. And in no comparison to the magnificent place where the Father is. That puts everything else in perspective here that we fight and claw and clamor for. And we, and we, we, we consider so important I got, I got my place. I got my place. You got your place? With your name on it? And, and so he says to them, um, I'm going to the Father's house. And he says in verse 4, you know the way. I mean, matter-of-factly, you, you know the way. And... Um, Thomas, who is courageous enough to say something. I, I'm glad I'm not Thomas. I'm glad I wasn't Thomas at that moment, although the teaching is magnificent. Now, he says, we don't know where you are going. That's what he first says. We don't know where you are going. Now, you know, I wish he hadn't have said that because I can imagine Jesus was way nicer than I, I am, I'm sure, because I would have just rolled my eyes, you know, like, did I or did I not just say, I was going to the Father's place? I mean, where are you going? It's okay if he had to say, we don't know the way to get there. I could have accepted that. But he says, we, we don't, uh, Jesus, we, we don't know where you're going. So it, it also makes me feel a little bit better, you know, that when Jesus was preaching, some people weren't listening to him either. So how can we know the way? Where the Father abides. That's where I'm going, Thomas, okay? And he, he then offers one of the premier expressions of the theology of the gospel itself. Thomas, you already know the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Suppose someone has a uh, discussion with me and they come and they ask me, how do I get to your father's place? I'm very interested in your dad. I would say to them, well, you know, you, you got to get on the 401, you got to head west. When you come to Highway 6, go north. Go north until you come to Stone Road East, turn right. Go about a kilometer and a half down the road until you come to this senior's retirement complex called the Arboretum. Turn right into there. That's where my father is. Person looks at me and says, I think I'll take Highway 12 north. And, and by the way, um, 
I understand that your, your dad's kind of a nice guy, so I'll be very nice on the drive. I'll, uh, I understand that, that, that he likes when people are in their best behavior, so I'll be on my very best behavior while I'm driving on Highway 12 North. I'll, I'll be nice to people along the way. I'll stop along the way, and I'll be really nice to people. I'll give them things along the way on Highway 12 North. I'm going to look at them, and I'm going to say, well, that's very nice. But you can drive on Highway 12 North until you drive into James Bay, and you ain't coming to my father's place. Because I know the way to my father's place. We live in a world, you know, with billions of people who have somehow determined that they will find their way to the God of heaven their own way. Regardless of what the Son of God says is the way. You see, um, our God is not an ideal. He's not a principle that rewards nice tries. Like my father is a person, the God in heaven is a person. He's a reality. He's a, an objective reality. He has a defined destination. He doesn't um, find himself interested in effort over precision. He's uh, He's not enamored by people who are interested in him but refuse to obey him. And so we live in what's called a very pluralistic society, don't we? Where um, competing ideas and opinions are generously welcomed. Which makes this teaching of Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God but through me. Very unpopular. very narrow. Some people even call it arrogant. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's not just showing the way. That's what churches do. That's what you and I do. He is the way. Exclusively. Jesus is not a tour guide. He's not a good example or a way shower. Jesus is the way exclusively. All other ways are not ways that lead to the real God. Now, you, you, you know that. You come to this church. You've heard that message over and over again, but you need to let this sink in over and over and sink in deeply and realize that the, the, the absolute reality of this, this teaching of Christ Christianity cannot be right if other beliefs are right. Okay? Let's face that with you. It's not arrogance. It's not narrow. It it shouldn't be unpopular. It, It should be welcomed. It should be logically thought through. There's one thing for sure, and I don't know of all the exclusive claims that all the other world religions purport to make. But I do know of the exclusive claim that Christianity makes from the lips of Jesus Christ himself. Christ says, I am 
the way. There is no other possible way that is taught under God's good heaven to get to God than through me. That's it. Not only is he going to the Father, but he is the only way to the Father. Here's why we shouldn't be deeply distressed from this question and teaching. If you have Jesus, you're on the right way. You're on the way. Only God can lead us to himself. And so he says to Thomas, if you really knew me, verse 7, you would know my father as well. A better translation is this. If you come to know me, you will know my father also. If you come to know me, you will know my father also. Because here's what he says then. From now on, you got it. You do know him and have seen him. Are you ready? You on the way? You personally, huh? This is not just some vague teaching this morning. Huh? We're, we're talking to you individually, you as a person. Are you ready? Do you know him? Have you seen him? Have you come to know him? Jesus says, from now on, you can. From this moment forward, from right now, you can. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And then Philip, oh, oh, puts up his hand. Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. <laughs> I just wanted to grab them and knock their heads together, you know. He must have been thinking, Jesus must have been thinking, I'm not really sure this is a good time for me to leave these guys. I've been with them for three years, pouring my life into them. Just show us the Father and we'll close the books on this thing once and for all. Philip, don't you know me? Even after I've been among you such a long time, and here's a high point in John's Christology. Okay, look at it. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. He's getting real specific as we move toward the cross. No vagueness. To look at Jesus is to look at the Father. He's not just a teacher not just a guide or a means to a destination. He is the destination. He says he's the way to the Father. Now he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the destination. Jesus is the destination. Jesus is the end goal. Jesus is not a higher ethic. He doesn't just have a functional unity with God whereby he represents God, knows God, obeys God. He's not just an agent. Jesus is 
God. I am Yahweh, the way, the truth, and the life. And so he says, Philip, if you can't handle that, let me talk to you about evidence. Don't you believe, verse 10, that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? Have you not listened to my words? Have you not listened to the teaching? The words I say to you are not just my own, rather it is the Father living in me who's doing his work. The words Jesus speaks himself. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and what? The word what? Was God. He's not just speaking on his own. The father living through Jesus, doing his work, a partnership of personage. He says, what, if, if my words are not enough, uh, what about the miracles that I did? The miraculous works that Jesus did as evidence of work that only the Father could do. And by the way, he looks at them and says, and these great deeds, you're going to do them. And more. Isn't that what he says? I tell you the truth, anyone, verse 12, who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things. Why should we not allow our hearts to be distressed and deeply disturbed? There is going to be evidence in our lives of the work of God working through us. We think the end of the miraculous error came to its end, abrupt end, when Jesus went back to heaven. Not so, says Jesus. We become so accustomed here to in the 2011 to having some sort of physical, emotional relationship, mental relationship with God And we don't believe God can work powerfully through us anymore. We don't believe that, that Jesus will heal the sick, give sight to the blind, cause the deaf to hear, the lame to walk. the skeptic to believe. When Jesus is saying greater things here, he's not talking about superior power. He says here, you will do greater things than these, notice what he says, because I am going to the Father. That's a very important phrase. You will do these greater things because I am going to the Father. Because I am going to do the cross work. I'm on my way. All of us will agree if we've studied the Gospels that we, we, were all, we, we, 
we often say to ourselves, Jesus, why don't you just tell him? Why don't you just tell him straight? Why, why all this kind of veiled stuff? Why this mysterious stuff? Why do you tell him, don't go tell anybody? I do this miracle, now don't go tell anybody. Why don't you just tell them? Well, now he says, now is the time. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to do the cross work. No more veiled, no more mystery, no more wondering what's going on. You're now going to be ministering on the other side of the cross. This is going to be real specific work. There's going to be real clarity from now on. Jesus came, lived among us a sinless life, went to a cross, died a sinner's death for you and for me, rose again from the grave, has ascended to heaven, is ever interceding on our behalf. That's what's happened, and now you're going to preach from the other side of the cross, and it's going to be great clarity, greater things. We won't do greater things in caliber to Jesus. He raised the dead. I don't think you can do anything greater than that. Greater clarity. A multitude of disciples descending upon every place, nook and cranny of the earth. Finally, um, he says, I told you thir- th- greater things, and then he says, answered prayer. Notice? And I will do whatever you ask me in my name, so the Son, of, Son may be, bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. Answered prayer. Great works the works of God through you. And by the way, the great, great works of God and great works of Christ are humility, service, love. Answered prayer. The shepherd can hear the voice of the sheep. <laughs> Is that good news? What makes him different than a genie who gives us three wishes? He says, you ask anything in my name. I sign off on it. It's as good as done. And then he says, I told you I'm going away, but I will not forsake and abandon you or leave you an orphan. Judas, not Iscariot, asks the fourth question, the fourth disciple, how will we see you, but the world will not? You can't understand that. Jesus says, in a little while, I'm going away, the world will not see me, but you will see me. How can that be? They've become used to seeing him in person, physically. And he goes on to teach them now from verse 15 on, this is how the greater works will be done. This is how you will ask right things of God. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Not as a public incarnate God, but as the indwelling spirit. Now here's the condition. If you love me, you obey what I command, I will ask the Father and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. 
Those who love Jesus get the gift of the Holy Spirit, of which the world cannot welcome, to be in you forever. Because he says, I will ask the Father. If you love me, I will ask the Father, and he will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. To glorify the Father, the Son will return to disciples in the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit. That's how he's not going to leave them as orphans. That's now how he's not going to abandon them. That's why they should not be deeply distressed. I am going away, but I am coming back. I'm coming back to indwell you through the person of the Holy Spirit. Now you're saying, wait a second. He says, I'm going to give you another counselor. You just said he's coming back himself to indwell us. That's why he says another counselor. You ever read John's other epistle, epistles? First John, chapter two, verse one. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. We have, in other words, another advocate, or we have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That's the word, the same word that's used here for another counselor. Jesus is saying to them, I am your advocate. I am the counselor. By the way, counselor is not a great translation. Advocate is better because it's a legal term. Counselor is fine if you understand what it really means. He's talking about as a legal defense. He's talking about, about one who speaks on your defense who represents you in the court of law, the legal reality. This key doctrine of the Holy Spirit is presented here. The Holy Spirit is another advocate. The spirit of truth is to continue the work of Jesus, the advocate, through the obedience of witnesses. The word is paraclete. Come alongside, advocate. I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. This is amazing teaching here because the same trials that Jesus faces, you face. The same attacks that Jesus faced, you face. The same challenges to the truth, the same challenges to the teaching that Jesus faced, you face. And Jesus says, don't be distressed, don't be disturbed, don't be upset. You used to be able to stand behind me, you used to be able to say, hey, they're asking tough questions. Throw Jesus in front, ask him. And they stand up behind him. Jesus says, hey, don't worry about that. I'm coming back to dwell in you. I'll give you another advocate who will speak through you the spirit of truth. He will be your defense, your legal counsel here in these years between your salvation, your conversion, and your permanent dwelling in the Father's place. Now, Jesus, when he was among us, was localized. If you love Jesus Christ and have come to faith in him, Jesus is in you. Every day, every minute, every second, you have an advocate an indwelling paraclete, one who represents you to the Father and enables you to do the great things of Christ, to continue the work of Christ, 
the works of humility and service and love and miracles. That's why we are his witnesses to the truth. The advocate, the heavenly lawyer calls us as witnesses to the truth. And he produces in our lives evidence of the truth as we live out Jesus in our lives. The era of Christ's work through believers indwelt by the divine power of the Holy Spirit is to be like no other era on earth. In John chapter 10, 41, it said John the Baptist couldn't even do these things. You understand the power we're talking about? You understand the relationship we have? And, he, and Jesus said, because I am going, this is what you will have. Do, do we understand what is residing in us? Do we understand the nature of our relationship, the nature of the intimacy we have with God? This was an amazing and earth-shattering teaching that Christ put forth here. Are we taking advantage of it? He says, we'll make, our home, we'll make a home for you for then, and we'll make ourselves at home in you until then. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the exclusive way to the Father. He is it. He is the objective historic reality. Jesus is the absolute objective truth. Jesus is the life and only giver through the Spirit, staying with us until our permanent abiding place in the Father's eternal presence. Because you can't come to me yet, Jesus says, I'll come to you and ensure that you come to be where I am later. The quest for God in your life, in your living, is settled at Jesus. Do you know him? Is he yours? Are you his? He offers himself to you. You offer yourself to him. You'll be with him forever. He'll come and live in you now and take you there. Our Father and our God, as we conclude our time together this morning, thank you for Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, our Father, I pray that there would not be a single soul in this room this morning that has not embraced that teaching as their very own. And in so doing, loving Jesus, obeying his commands, delighting in him, receiving the power of the Spirit of God to live out the Jesus life, the truth, the way. Our Father, I pray that the Spirit of God who convicts and convinces of sin and draws people to the Father would be at powerful work this morning. That if there is anyone here this morning who has not come to know you as personal Lord and Savior, 
transforming Savior of their lives, I pray that this morning their hearts would rush to you, repent, turn from themselves, turn from their idols, turn from their false beliefs, and turn to the exclusive way to the Father, Jesus Christ. It's the truth. And your powerful presence ministers to that fact among us. As our heads are bowed this morning, is there anybody in here this morning who says, I've been thinking about different ways to God and thinking that there was no big deal about this, but I have come to a conviction this morning through the work of God that there is only one way to God, and that is Jesus Christ, and I want Jesus Christ in my life. Would you slip up your hand so I could pray for you right now if that's true of you? Is there anybody here? I just don't want to send you out of the room. There might be somebody in here who's been wrestling or struggling with this and says, I, t today I believe, today the Spirit of God has opened up my mind. Is there anybody in my heart? Anybody? Just put your hand up. How many in here know that you're saved beyond a shadow of a doubt? Would you raise your hand? If you were to die today, you'd be in God's presence immediately. Our Father, thank you for helping us in our deep distress and pain and hurt. By being our amazing Savior, Lord, let us sing with all of our hearts to you now, Lord, as you work in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.